This week on Geek Explained, in the final installment of Captain America Month, we're ending July the way we began, with the old-fashioned comic books. Join me as I count down my top 10 essential Captain America comics. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is the final installment of Captain America Month. This month has been dedicated to Steve Rogers and the Star Spangled Avenger, and honestly, I have just absolutely loved getting to talk about one of my, probably my favorite Marvel hero. Um, he's very, very close second to Superman when it comes to overall characters, but uh, good old Steve Rogers, Captain America just in general. General has always been very near and dear to my heart, so getting to dedicate July to talking about him in all forms of media has just been fantastic, and I want to thank you for being with me in the month of July. It's been a great time. But this week, we are going to be counting down my top 10 essential Captain America comics. These are comics that I think every person who is a fan of Captain America or who wants to get into the comic book adventures of the star-spangled man with a plan, these are the ones I think you need to read. So we're going to be going through every single one. I've got 10 of them. We're going to be talking about them in this week's episode. We also have, of course, this week's comic countdown where I talk about all the comics and there are a bunch of them this week that I think you should be checking out but before we get into all of that let's check in with this week's news All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous, and there are a ton of pieces of news for this week, a lot more than I was expecting. So let's go ahead and dive into it. We're going to start off with miscellaneous news, uh, a couple pieces of video game news specifically, as well as one uh, audio drama piece of news. But the first one I want to talk about, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I do think it's worth mentioning. Uh, this past week, we got a lot of um, in-depth information on the drama going on round with uh, Activision and Activision Blizzard and it is uh it's really disheartening. It is unfortunate that people have to be garbage people. Uh the state of California is filing a suit against Activision Blizzard for among other things, uh lots of sexual harassment towards female uh, employees and it's guys, come on. Like it's not hard to respect women. Like, just treat them as human beings. I don't know why it's so difficult for people. I don't know why in the video game industry, where it's arguably one of the most inclusive uh, communities that I've been a part of, certainly playing video games, feeling, you know, seen for a lot of different, like, characters and stories, and 
it breaks my heart to know that shit like this is going on. And I'm sure it, I can say with certainty, not even having any kind of, you know, evidence that I readily available that this shit has been going on for a very long time. And unfortunately, will probably continue to go on. And I hope that with, you know, cases like this with entire states actually, you know, pursuing legal action against companies for shit like this, that we will see a change in the industry over time. I think it should be done now, but um, I'm hoping that we continue to push forward because everyone deserves to feel loved, appreciated, valued, and respected. So that is my two cents on that. And more exciting news, we got the announcement that the Dead Space remake that we touched on in the news segment a few weeks back has been officially revealed. I'm very, very excited about this. We do know that, uh, as we stated earlier in a few episodes back, uh, Motive Entertainment is going to be uh, producing it. That's the company that did Star Wars Squadrons, stuff like that. I think this is great. It looks great. It was just a like a 30-second tease that just oh, it brings you right back to the Ishimura. They had the little twinkle twinkle little star song that's super creepy. I just I loved every second of this trailer and I cannot wait to learn more. No release date, probably not going to be until next year, but uh we'll just have to see. Very very excited about this. Uh we also got the news that Batman is going to be starring in a new audio drama entitled Batman Unburied and the actor behind the voice has been revealed as Winston Duke. Mbaku himself is going to be stepping into the role and donning the cape and cowl in audio form for this uh, team up between DC and Spotify. Uh, They also revealed that Jason Isaacs will be playing Alfred, which is awesome. Jason Isaacs is a great actor. Lucius Malfoy and M'Baku together. What more could you want? Uh, looking at, I'm looking at a uh, an article about this. Uh, the only thing that gives me pause about this is that it's written and produced by David Goyer, which, huh, huh, Goyer. But uh, he did say that, uh, let's see here. Da, 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 da. So it says here, according to Spotify, and I'm quoting the article here, the Bruce Wayne of Batman Unburied will differ from the versions already portrayed in film and on the printed page. When audiences meet Bruce Wayne, he is a forensic pathologist working in the bowels of Gotham Hospital and tasked with examining the victims of the Harvester, a gruesome serial killer preying on Gotham citizens. Not only will the, will the superhero be forced to face his own mental demons, but he will also have to overcome them in order to save the, Goth- the citizens of Gotham as his alter ego, Batman. So, from what it sounds like to me, we're getting medical drama, we're getting uh, personal and mental health uh, issues, we're getting a detective story, and we're getting Batman. Like, sounds intimate, sounds really cool. I will be looking out for this for sure. And I definitely uh, definitely think you should too as well. So that should be releasing later this year. Uh, hopping on over to film news. Uh, some very exciting pieces of film news here. Uh, first off, the one that I guess hit me a little, like probably the least, uh, Dune. Dune finally got its first like big trailer. I don't know anything about Dune. I have no idea uh, anything that goes into the books. I know there's a lot of books. I know that uh, there was a previous attempt to turn this into a film, and it was fine. Um, but the trailer looks cool. I like this 
post-apocalyptic sci-fi cast system drama that seems to be going on. Um, cast is stacked. The uh, effects look great. I will just have to see. I'm not. I'm still not like super interested in it, but I'll check it out. I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to just discount it because it looks cool and the effects are great. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, we also got the first look as well as a cast announcement for the Injustice animated film. We talked about that in a previous news segment. Uh, they released a little image. It's basically just the uh, the Trinity, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman in their Injustice looks. Uh, it's, I mean... Animation looks fine, just from the still image that you can't really tell what it's going to look like because it's not moving. But um, the cast is very interesting. So according to THR, uh, Injustice features Justin Hartley as Superman. He played Aquaman in Smallville. He's been killing it and this is us uh we have anson mount as batman uh formerly black bolt of the inhumans though i'm sure he would much rather be associated with literally anything else uh we have laura bailey as lois lane and ramakushna laura bailey's wonderful uh zach callison as damian and jimmy olsen not familiar with that name. Uh, Brian T. Delaney as Green Lantern. We have Brandon Michael Hall as Cyborg. Edwin Hodge as Mr. Terrific and Killer Croc. We have Oliver Hudson as Plastic Man. Jillian Jacobs as Harley Quinn. Jillian Jacobs is doing a lot. Doing a lot of voice work recently. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Yuri Lowenthal as Mirror Master. You know how much of a mark I am for Yuri Lowenthal. Uh, oh, and he's also playing Flash and Shazam. Very cool. Uh, we have Derek Phillips as Nightwing and Aquaman. Kevin Pollock as the Joker and Jonathan Kent. Anika Noni Rose as Catwoman. Reed Scott as Green Arrow and Victor Zaz. Faran Tahir as Rachel Ghoul. Fred Ta- Fred Tatashor as Captain Adam. Janet Varney as Wonder Woman. And Andrew Morgado as Mirror Master Soldier. They really released the entire cast list. I'm really, I'm really excited to see what they do with Mirror Master Soldier. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if he's as integral to the film as he was to the game in the comics. But um, cast looks great. Uh, the Injustice. It feels kind of like this is going to be drawing more off the game than the comic, which I think personally would be a mistake. But we will just have to see. Um, apparently, the full first look and uh, behind-the-scenes stuff is going to be included with the home release of Batman Long Halloween Part 2. Uh, it's directed by Rick Morales and will arrive this fall on home video. So, um, yeah, I mean, Injustice, again, I still think that the best part of Injustice is the comics by Tom Taylor, but... We'll just have to see. We'll have to see how the film is. Uh, And we finally, in film news, got two big uh, casting announcements. That's pretty cool. First off, uh, Michaela Cole. Coel? I'm sorry. Uh, She has been cast in a mystery role for Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever. A lot of people are saying she's going to be Storm, but I will wait until they give us confirmation on that either, you know, Either way, so we'll just have to see, but she's awesome. Um, I believe she was in, I think it's called I May Destroy You. Wonderful, wonderful show. Uh, You should check it out. And she is a powerhouse actress, so she is going to kill this. And then we also finally got an update for the uh, news that we talked about last week with the casting rumors for uh, Batgirl, the HBO Max series that they are, or film, pardon me, that they're working on. We have the announcement. It looks like Leslie Grace 
Heights of In the Heights fame is going to be playing Barbara Gordon for this film. Uh, very excited for her. I think this is... Um, it's it's a win-win situation for everybody. She's really hot right now coming off of uh, In the Heights. HBO Max is looking for somebody who's really going to be able to embody the character, and I think Leslie Grace is going to do an incredible job. Cannot wait to learn more about this. Hopping over to TV news, the HBO Max news just keeps on rolling. Uh, Michael B. Jordan, alongside his production company, is apparently developing a Val Zod limited series for HBO Max uh, and is possibly in talks to star in it no confirmation on that but uh the fact that val zod is getting a series all to himself is very exciting i think uh, michael b jordan seems to have a passion for the character so i'm excited that he's committed to bringing that character to life if you want to learn more about val zod we did a geek explained episode detailing his entire comic book history just check back in the archives for it I think this is awesome. I know that Michael B. Jordan has been a very popular fan casting for the character for a very long time. So it's exciting to finally kind of see that fan casting, whether or not he ends up actually playing the character on screen. The fact that he's just involved, I think, is really, really cool. Uh, we also got... The first trailer for the Blade Runner Black Lotus anime, which looks great. You know how much of a sucker I am for that Blade Runner sci-fi style storytelling. And this looks right up my alley. Very, very excited to see this. And then a big rumor that we are going to talk about here. Um, Hawkeye is quickly becoming must-see television when it comes to the MCU Disney Plus shows. Uh, Loki, I think, put those shows on the map with how successful it was from start to finish. WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier were amazing. But I don't think I'm alone in saying that Loki was the best of the three. And really got the ball rolling to get people hyped for the rest of this phase. And I think Hawkeye is going to be the next one to, to keep your eye on. Because we now know that Yelena Belova is going to be part of it. Uh, we know Echo is going to be part of it. We've got Kate and Clint doing their thing. It's going to be based off of the Fraction series. And now it is being rumored that a certain kingpin of crime may be appearing in the series as well. Rumors are circulating right now that Vincent D'Onofrio may be reprising his role as Wilson Fisk from the Daredevil TV show. Y'all remember Daredevil? I never forgot, and I'm sure you didn't either. And Vincent D'Onofrio may be returning as Fisk in Hawkeye. Um, this is right up there parallel with the rumors that are going on that Charlie Cox may be playing Daredevil in uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. But who knows? We don't have any confirmation either way on either of these. We will just have to wait and see. And then we're going to finish things off here with comic book news. Two pieces of big comic book news I'm very excited about. First off, we got the announcement that Luke Cage, City of Fire, which is an Three, which is a three-issue mini-series, uh, has been announced. It's going to be written by Hoche Anderson with art by Farid Karami, Ray Anthony Height, and Sean Damian Hill, each uh, uh, doing art on a different issue. And this is pretty awesome. Uh, basically, it looks like Luke Cage is going to run up against Wilson Fisk for control of the city, whether it's, you know, through the mayor's office or through the streets. So I'm excited about this. Luke Cage is awesome. 
I love any type of street-level Marvel story, so count me in on this, and I'm very excited about these creators as well. And then we also, this past week, saw the winners of the Eisner Awards for 2021. I have it in my notes here as 2011 for some reason. I don't know what I was thinking when I was writing this. But uh, we had some big winners. Uh, If you want to check out the full list of winners, you can Google it. But the ones that I wanted to kind of give a quick little shout out to was uh, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. I know Doug is very excited over at the For Every Kind of Geek YouTube channel. Um, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, the limited or the uh, limited series won not only best humor publication but also won best limited series. So congratulations to that whole team. Uh, James Tynan the fourth won best writer just overall. Uh, he's had a hell of a year and he is continuing to put out stellar work and I'm very excited for him. Uh, Black Widow by Kelly Thompson and Elena Casagrande won best new series, which. I have sung the praises of that series many a time on this podcast. I really, really dig it. It's so great. If you haven't yet, go catch up the first volumes out. Jump right in. You will not be disappointed, especially if you're looking for something after watching the Black Widow film. And then one of my favorite comic books of all time, Superman Smashes the Klan, walked away with four Eisner Awards. Or three, pardon me. Three Eisner Awards. Four for Gene Loon Yang because he also won an Eisner Award for Dragon Hoops, his um, for teen reading uh, graphic novel, also very good. Uh, but Superman Smashes the Clan won uh, best... Oh, I am so sorry. I'm misreading this. So... Superman Smashes the Clan won two, just like uh, I wrote these notes. Superman Smashes the Clan won two Eisners. Uh, Dragon Hoops won one for best publication for teens. Superman Smashes the Clan won the Eisner for best adaptation from another medium and best publication for kids. So big winners, really excited for them. Congratulations to all of the Eisner award winners. It was a stacked year and a stacked field of comics. And I am very excited because with the quality for this year, who knows how the Eisners are going to go next year. Very, very excited to keep going forward in comics. And speaking of comics, that is going to wrap up this week's news segment, and it is going to roll us right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, of this week's episode, where I count down my top 10 essential Captain America comics.
Well, gang, we're here. After spending the entire month of July talking about Steve Rogers and Captain America, we are in our final installment of Captain America Month. And I've had a great time talking about Captain America. Uh, He's a character who's near and dear to my heart. He's a character that I've been a longtime fan of. And uh, I hope that I've been able to express my love for the character and my reverence for the character over the past few weeks. And for our final installment, what I really want to do is just get you back into the comics. It's how I think a lot of people fall in love with the character. Sure, a lot of people are probably introduced to the character through the movies or through the cartoons, but it's in the comics that I think you really get to see what the character is all about, what the character represents, and how the character has changed over time. So for the last installment of Captain America Month, I'm going to be counting down my 10 essential Captain America comics. So a couple things about this list before we get into it. Uh, These aren't like ranked or anything. It's not like, oh, the worst, the best. Uh, These are actually put in chronological order. So if you want to follow the path, if you want to chart the chronicle of Steve Rogers and the mantle of Captain America, if you go through this list from 1 to 10, you'll be able to get from point A to point B and really get a sense of how the character is in the comics. And overall, I think it's a pretty damn good story going from story to story, going from comic to comic that'll be on this list. And each comic I'll be talking about the creators, I'll be talking about uh, basically what the comic's about and where I think it you know, settles in on that chronological timeline and why it's so important to the character. I also have a few honorable mentions that I'll get to at the end, but I really wanted to just kind of bring this all back into the comics because I love comics. You know how much I love comics. I have an entire segment dedicated each week to talking about just comic books. So uh, let's go ahead and dive into it. I'm very excited to get into these. Uh, Some of these I have talked about before on the podcast. Some of these I haven't. So I'm excited to kind of compile this list so that you all can have a roadmap for the story of Captain America. So at number one, starting things off, I have the story of Captain America and the Avengers. Uh, This is written by Stan Lee with art by Jack Kirby and Don Heck, and this comprises of the original Avengers run starting with issue four and running all the way to issue 15. Now what's important about this is that the Avengers themselves weren't the team that everyone kind of associates them with if they're more familiar with the MCU or some of the cartoons. When the Avengers started off in the comics, they were a very small group of characters who weren't like B-list per se, but they weren't selling like, you know, Spider-Man or the Fantastic Four. This was a group of characters that They wanted to get together on a team because their books weren't selling as well as they wanted them to. So this team comprised of Iron Man, Hulk, Thor, uh, what was he calling himself at that point? I think he was just Ant-Man. So Ant-Man, Hank Pym, and the Wasp. And they were a five-individual group that was brought together through the machinations of Loki. And that was kind of the status quo for the first three issues. But during that initial run, Hulk got... You know, he, he's he's a character who has a lot of issues and a lot of demons that he has to uh, grapple with at all times. And so by the end of 
Issue three, he ended up taking a leave of absence. And in issue four, while on the hunt on trying to figure out what's going on with him, the Avengers stumble upon a frozen uh, figure that after being more or less dislodged by Namor, who happened to be in the area, they discovered to be Captain America, who had been frozen since World War II. Uh, this story kind of goes off from here, him ending up joining the Avengers and eventually becoming more or less their field leader throughout this initial run. Uh, during this set of issues 14, or 4 through 15, we get some amazing Avengers stories that introduce a lot of the classic tropes and a lot of the classic villains that the Avengers will come up against. The Masters of Evil gets united during this first initial run. We also get the first appearance of Kang, Kang the Conqueror, who is, uh, from what I hear, becoming kind of a big deal recently. So uh, if you want to see his first appearance, if you want to see what he's all about, this Avengers run is for you. And what's cool about this uh, this run from that initial Captain America and the Avengers run is that we get introduced to this character called Baron Zemo. But it's not Helmet Zemo that most people are familiar with and where they really... Um, took a lot of inspiration for for the Zemo that's in the uh, MCU. This was Heinrich Zemo. This was the original Baron Zemo that the comics, at least, were familiar with before it became like a legacy title. Um, but Heinrich was one of Cap's old-school villains. If you want to learn more about Zemo, both Heinrich and Helmet, I did an entire Geek Explained episode uh, talking about both those characters, introducing them, going through their history, as well as recommending some comics. Go back and the archives check that out but what was cool about this is that Zemo was kind of this overarching villain throughout this like this initial run where he you know shows up and we see how Cap was frozen was because of Zemo we see how Bucky was seemingly killed it was because of Zemo we see that Throughout this run, um, Cap is running up against Zemo in all kinds of different situations. Zemo is the one that brings the Masters of Evil together. Zemo continues to pit different villains against the Avengers in hopes to break Cap's spirit. And by the end of the uh, of this initial run, what relationships that Cap has built become ultimately something that Zemo uses against him. Uh, pretty much, I think the most uh, blatant example of that is at the end of this run when he kidnaps Rick Jones who has become a friend to Cap, to Cap and the two of them have created this bond that kind of started with Rick Jones looking exactly like Bucky who knows but it's it's really cool you get to see this never-ending battle you get to see these two characters who hate each other get a resolution to their conflict when zemo is ultimately killed during a rock slide and this run ends with this sort of uncertainty because in the second spot in the second story we go to cap's kooky quartet my i I would hazard to guess I might have to like really think about it and do some number crunching, but like I think Cap's Kooky Quartet might be my favorite Avengers team just based on paper. Because during the issues which ran from six 
uh, Avengers 16 to Avengers 29, written by Stan Lee with art by Jack Kirby and Don Heck once again. Uh, most of the original Avengers leave the team for various circumstances, leaving Cap there by himself to now recruit a ragtag team of former villains, including Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, and Hawkeye to form what would later be called Cap's Kooky Quartet. And... The team that they built for this is so freaking cool. I really, really dig it. Um, at this point, uh, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver were more known as just like underlings of Magneto because they were part of the Brotherhood of Evil and they just recently left his service. Hawkeye was a reluctant villain who had run up against Iron Man multiple times alongside Black Widow. And in this story, Cap takes a chance and he recruits all three of them through various circumstances and says, we are going to be the Avengers now. Whether we like it, whether the world likes it or not, we're the Avengers. Avengers. And the thing I love about this is because the stories are just as kind of wacky and crazy as the initial run of the Avengers, but there's this plucky underdog um, feel to everything. Like, this is not, you know, your big Avengers team. You don't have a Thunder God there, or someone who can fly, or someone who can, you know, shrink down to the size of an ant. You know, you have some very skilled people. You know, Hawkeye is a phenomenal archer. Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver have their mutant abilities, which were not super well defined at this point at Scarlet Witch's part in her history but this team always had this like this underdog flavor about them you see them always fighting from underneath you know fighting against the odds to achieve their goals and I just I love stories like that where no one expects this team to succeed but they do in spite of everybody uh, we also get to see this long this long-running uh, story arc throughout this run for Hawkeye when we are introduced to and later um, become aware of the villainous um, leanings of the swordsman Hawkeye's old mentor who ends up manipulating and pulling a lot of strings to not just get Hawkeye back under his services but also to kind of break the team that he sees has weakened him very very cool stuff lots of great storytelling the return of Black Widow comes here as well and she's also trying to manipulate uh, Clint at this point it's really cool and they took characters that maybe hadn't gotten as much of a shine like Clint Barton and really gave him pathos really gave him the depth that you would expect to see in a book like this and getting to you know find out more about his past why he is who he is and watching him trying to build a better reputation a better life for himself before outside forces try to pull it away from him is really really cool we also get to see the distrust that the public has for quicksilver and scarlet which not only because they're vi former villains but because they're mutants and at this point mutants were still hated and feared as they are today for the most part but it's really cool to see cap kind of be this um this guiding hand the steadying force to take this ragtag group of rogues and try to make them into heroes it's very inspiring very cool we also get uh multiple stories that bring in some big avengers heavy hitters like kang who returns during this arc as well as dr doom 
our uh, our little ragtag team gets to go up against Doctor Doom, and it goes about as well as you would expect. <laughs> but it's a, overall just a really fun story with this team that has no right to be as you know well oiled or as efficient as they are and you get to see them argue you get to see them bicker you get to see them struggle but you also get to see them make the right decisions and in the shadow of this original avengers team carve out a piece of history for themselves as a true blue avengers team just really really cool stuff so at number three we have a an arc that not a lot of people know about, which is unfortunate, but it's the War and Remembrance arc. This is written by John or Roger Stern with art by John Byrne, and this takes place in Captain America issues 247 through 255. And what this book did was this was kind of one of the many attempts during Cap's long history to try and ground the character. Uh, up to this point, he had been going through some ridiculous and wacky stuff that just wasn't... Um, it wasn't resonating with fans. It wasn't resonating with readers, and Cap's um, Cap's readership was starting to slip. So what they decided to do, what Stern and Byrne decided to do, was to take Captain America and make him grounded. They tried, and not in that like, oh, we gotta make him gritty and realistic, but they decided we're gonna go intimate with his stories. We're not just gonna talk about, you know, Captain America doing kooky things. We want to get to the heart of Steve Rogers. Like, what's going on with him now that he's woken up in this other time where the people that he knows are either aging or dead? And how does he fit into the larger world around him now in this quote-unquote modern age? Uh, this also brings in, you know, Cap has a secret identity. We see him move into a neighborhood. He gets his own, you know, Mary Jane Watson, which I think is really cool. And we get a much more um, humanized run for Cap. Uh, this run is probably most well known for the Cap for President story that uh, ran for pretty much just one issue where Cap struggles with the idea of, you know, getting into politics. And even though thankfully he decides to sidestep that because he's loyal to nothing but the dream um i think it's it's still a very fun what if kind of story and also during this run we get our first big kind of deep dive into the invaders talking about cap's time there we get more of his backstory as well before he got the serum so all in all warren remembrance is not just this, you know, kind of writing of the ship for Cap, but it's also an invitation to readers to get to know who Steve Rogers is. You know, the man behind the shield is more than just the costume that he wears. So it's a really good read. I would absolutely recommend it. And especially if you are exhausted by the huge bombast of modern comics, or even some of the comics of the day, if you're going through some classic comic reading, check out War and Remembrance. It is a little-known story about a man who tried to live life a little bit slower, and I think he was all, and the story was all the better for it. So next up at number four, to shift gears from that very uh, intimate and small-scale story, we get into the saga of The Captain, also known as Captain America No More. This was written by Mark Grunewald with art by Kieran Dwyer and Tom Morgan, and ran from Captain America issues number 332 to 350, though also, if you get any collected editions, it'll include Iron Man number 
number 228, which does tie in. Uh, this, and I've talked about this before on multiple episodes, I think most recently during the comics catch-up for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, um, this is the saga of John Walker. This is the story of how the Super Patriot became Captain America, and later on, how he became U.S. agent. So this story was one of the many stories up to this point where Captain America runs up against the U.S. government. We, we've had stories like this in the past, most notably with Secret Empire. No, not that one. And this story, once again, dives into the heart of why Steve Rogers works as Captain America and why Captain America works just in general as a character. That whole idea, it's cliche to say now because it's so, like, overquoted, and I already quoted it earlier, but that whole, you know, I'm loyal to nothing except the dream is something that I think a lot of people forget about if they are, you know, one of those people who bags on Cap for, like, being a government stooge. Like, this is a story where it's anything but. And we get to see the dark side of that, where, you know, at this point in time in comics, a lot of heroes were going in the anti-hero route. And people were, like, clamoring for characters like Superman and, like, Captain America to get a harder edge to fit in with the times. And so Grunewald was basically, like... Yeah, okay, sure. And so he creates the character of John Walker and elevates him to the status of Captain America after Steve seemingly gives up the shield and the costume due to having um, no small friction with the U.S. government. And so we get to see him alongside uh, Lamar Hoskins as the new Bucky, later on changed to Battlestar because of reasons. Um, we get to see what it would be like if there was this just blindly patriotic and willing to cross the line Captain America. And just like in stories like Nightfall, there was a big um, drive to let people know, like, this is why the character works. This is why the character has worked for so long, and it's not because he changes with the times. Sure, he'll adapt and he'll, you know, his stories will put him in more, you know, modern situations, but the heart of the character needs to remain the same for him to be as engaging as he is and thankfully that's exactly what they did here you know having john walker who gets this you know boost by the power broker and becomes this like at a certain point just deranged government stooge in service of trying to protect america at any cost becomes this you know anti-Steve Rogers, which gives Steve, who at this point has, you know, created the persona of the captain and, you know, developed a costume that would later be used by Walker as the U.S. agent, brings him back into the spotlight for that battle to see who will wield the shield. And it's also a great story just about how fame and fortune and, you know, getting all of this uh, undue attention can ruin lives. You know, we get to see John Walker lose not just his best friend, not just his reputation, not just his mind, but also his family, the people who are closest to him. They get murdered, straight up murked by some of his bitter old allies. And 
watching him grow and develop just as much as Steve does during this arc is really fascinating to read. I would honestly give it a read, even if you weren't a huge fan of how the character was handled in Falcon and Winter Soldier. This is John Walker at his best, and he hasn't really had a compel- a story as compelling as this one since. Uh, this also, you know, gives us one of those first big battles for the shield, um, And we would get many of those following this, but this is the one that always kind of comes up in those, you know, conversations about which story did that best. This one is absolutely one to look out for. So that's why it's at the number four spot. At number five, we have Operation Rebirth. Now, this was a story written by Mark Wade with art by Ron Garney and ran through issues of, of Captain America number 444 through 454. So not an entirely long run, but that's because this was the pre-Heroes Reborn run. Now, this comic was dealing with a lot of stuff at the time. Um, Cap had just come off of a pretty bad run previously and mark wade who is one of my favorite writers alongside art superstar ron garney uh decided to kind of reset the character go back to basics and it feels almost like they wanted to tell an old school captain america story because a lot of the trappings are there you know cap is coming back from being you know considered dead Um, a lot of the major superhero community as well as the greater you know civilian community at large believes that captain america perished at the end of the last arc and so uh, we get to see very much in that same way that you know captain america lives or captain america returns in issue number four of the avengers we get to see him come back we get to see him you know be this you know shining light character again who battles against not just foreign you know interests but also against oppression in general and gets to fight villains in a non-like hokey or propaganda-y way, which is surprisingly hard to do with a character called Captain America. Uh, This was also the arc that really brought back to prominence the character of Sharon Carter, who was revealed to be a double agent as well as a super spy who works with Steve throughout this arc. Uh, This as well at also there this also um gives us a lot of like i said classic captain america tropes uh, i mentioned already him coming back from the dead and the whole surprise beyond that but it also framed cap up against the red skull and had the cosmic cube back into play as something that both the heroes and the villains were trying to get their hands on so a lot of you know classic uh, 60s and 70s style um, prompts and characters and stories, but in a fresh 90s polish when it comes to the writing and the art. Uh, unfortunately, this arc was cut short because of Heroes Reborn, which sucks. Um, however, this story with these uh, creators does return post the Heroes Return uh, event for another 23 issues where they got to explore more of what makes Captain America Captain America. So overall, I love whenever Mark Wade gets his hands on characters that I love, whether it's Daredevil, Superman, Captain America, and this is no different. 
But now that we're at the halfway point on this list, let's kind of track his journey so far. So he comes out of the ice. He joins the Avengers. Eventually, after vanquishing his longtime foe Zemo, the Avengers break up. He brings together a whole new ragtag team of adventurers. Uh, eventually, after having all of these crazy, um, wacky, uh, just out there kind of uh, stories. He decides to settle down a little bit. He decides to get a little bit more self-reflective, even thinks about running for president, perhaps. And then at the most vulnerable moment for him, he runs up against that government and gives up the role just to see another person who was not as qualified to take over the mantle of Captain America, and eventually he comes back to it. Eventually he fights to wield the shield, reclaims the shield, and then takes it on just in time to go up against the Red Skull with a cosmic cube right before a huge, you know, line-shattering event that was Onslaught and Heroes Reborn. And now that he's back as Captain America, it's time to break him again. And I am, of course, talking about The Winter Soldier. Uh, written by Ed Brubaker with art by Steve Epting, Michael Lark, and Mike Perkins. Um, what can I say that hasn't already been said uh issues one through nine and then 11 through 14 of that ed brubaker cap run uh issue 10 was like a house of m thing um it is probably the most famous captain america story whether we're talking about modern comics classic comics though i guess now with uh the whole john walker um John Walker's rise to fame over the course of Captain America and the Winter Soldier, or Falcon and the Winter Soldier, excuse me. Um, that one could also be up there, but I think there is no more famous and no more um, referenced Captain America story than the Winter Soldier story. Um, it is taking a character like a Bucky Barnes who had been dead. He'd been on the shelf for decades up to this point. And what Brubaker, Epting, Lark, and Perkins decided to do was to bring that character back in a big way. So this story sees the return of Bucky Barnes in the guise of the Winter Soldier, who is this Soviet um, assassin, more or less, robotic arm, you know, domino mask, the whole long hair, the whole nine yards. And this character not gave Steve not just a physical threat, but also an emotional and a mental threat as well, because Steve had to grapple with the fact that after all these years, after spending time, arguably more time in the modern day than he did in his own time, he is now face-to-face -face with the person who he thought was presumed dead. And so getting that just incredible story prompt to lead you into what is this incredible spy thriller that Brubaker's run is as a whole, but more, I, I would say more um, distilled in this initial arc where we get to see, you know, just what happened to Bucky after the two of them were separated and frozen and watching, you know, the degradation of their original friendship all the way up to the point that the Cosmic Cube gets used once again to unlock Bucky's memories and 
ultimately set him on the path to becoming who he is meant to be, which leads us straight into number seven on the list, The Death and Return of Captain America. Still written by Ed Brubaker, got the whole team there, Steve Apting, Butch Geis, Mike Perkins, and newcomer Luke Ross. Uh, This took place in issues number 26 through 50, as well as issues 600 and 601. After issue 50, they went to Legacy, numbering for like two issues and then they were right back to Captain America number one. But this is Bucky Cap. This is Bucky Barnes stepping into the role as Captain America following the death of Steve Rogers post-Civil War. Um, I didn't include Civil War on here just because the story itself is fine, Um, but the characterization for Captain America is wildly misconceived. wildly inconsistent and it doesn't really give a good um i would say a good representation onto who steve rogers is as a character and the most notable thing is that steve dies and so that really you know if you read issues i believe 22 through 25 that kind of gives you like the lead-in for this so it gives you all the information you need to know anyway but this run specifically bucky cap is one of my favorite captain america stories and this was the first um cap run that i actually was keeping up with on a monthly basis and you know at this point, like I had just gotten into high school, um, I was like learning about these characters and like, oh man, like what's this deal with Bucky Barnes and all this stuff. And continuing on from the previous entry on this list, uh, this continues to be a spy thriller, but also, you know, shifts slightly into a political thriller as well, dealing with government red tape, dealing with the, you know, the trial of Captain America, which is a great, great story. And ultimately, the villains that haunted Steve come back to haunt Bucky as well. Uh, the Red Skull is kind of in the background, bonded at this point to Alexander Lucan, and so he's kind of pulling strings. But the one who goes full throttle, you know, straight up against and in conflict with Bucky is Baron Zemo. This one, Helmet Zemo, the son of Heinrich, who basically exposes all of Bucky's dirty laundry to everyone around the world, you know, highlighting his work as the Winter Soldier, which was considered classified at this point, and initiating that trial of Captain America story. It's also a story of someone trying to fill the impossible shoes that his mentor left behind. You know, Bucky is a flawed character, and I think this series does everything as good a job as you could possibly do in showing that and showing that though Bucky is this flawed character, though he has this dark past and is very unsure about stepping into this role, he is willing to make the jump. He is willing to put that aside and try to be better to, you know, give as much of a, um, as much respect as he can to the legacy that Steve left behind. It's also just a really great story. I'm a huge fan of political thrillers and putting Captain America and continuing on that Brubaker uh, thriller-style storytelling with Captain America just works really well for me. Now, following this, um, in the you know last part of the... Uh, run, we do get the lead up into the return, or as it would be called, Captain America Lives, where Steve Rogers is discovered alive, just displaced in time, and he comes back and he, you know, gives up 
you know, the role, he comes back as Captain America, but says, look, you're doing your thing. I'm going to be commander. I'm going to be commander Rogers over in shield for a little bit. And then a little thing called, um, God, I really, I don't, I don't like this. I don't like this. Um, a little thing happened where Bucky was killed by the serpent of Asgard, um it's just it's it's not a good story it's i'm sorry if you're a fan of that story i'm sorry but it's just it's not it's not good um fear itself was the story that gave more um i would say uh more backstory and more lore to thor at the detriment of everybody else um in this story bucky is seemingly killed steve becomes captain america once again while bucky kind of slinks off into the shadows after having survived and following this following steve's resurgence and um reclaim reclamation of the captain america role we head into number eight on the list which is the jonathan hickman avengers run now of course this is written by jonathan hickman with so many artists across two separate books that you know some of the highlights um you, Opeña, Kubert, Diodato, Caselli, a murderer's row of incredible artists. And this took place in Avengers number 1 through 44, as well as New Avengers number 1 through 33. And at the heart of this story really is the story of two men, Steve Rogers and Tony Stark. And it frames it as such in the very opening pages of this book book and of this run and this is probably my favorite avengers run of all time um i just recently reread it last year from start to finish both books including all of the events and it is big world ending storytelling but also very intimate character driven storytelling cap is still getting back into the swing of his role as a leader again after spending all this time, you know, fighting for who he was. This is also just after the events of uh, Avengers versus X-Men, where arguably no one made the right decision until the very end. And Cap and Tony set about to make the, I mean, certainly the biggest Avengers roster of all time, but also probably the, the deepest when it comes to talent and power set. Um, this is, of course, Jonathan Hickman, so it's big ideas, long-term storytelling, stuff that is introduced in issue one, doesn't pay off until issue 40. And there are all kinds of incredible stories and incredible character moments through here. We get events like Infinity, which is kind of the definitive modern um, Thanos event you know you could argue that the thanos books you know by cates and others have like really fleshed out the character but it got no like bigger than with infinity when it came to thanos's influence on the greater marvel universe at least in like i said the modern age um and we also got one of the best runs and best arcs that I've ever read in comics, just in general, Marvel, DC, uh, Indies, whatever, which is Time Runs Out. Time Runs Out is such a triumph of storytelling that it is hard to put into words just how well it worked and just why it worked. This was the culmination of not just 
uh, Hickman's Avengers run, but also his Ultimates run before that, his Fantastic Four run before that, everything that he had been seeding throughout several different Marvel universes up to this point comes to a head with the end of all things and the end of the multiverse that leads into Secret Wars, um, which... I mean, you would be hard-pressed to get an argument from me if you called it the best comic book event of all time. It is incredible. Um, it is a landmark achievement, and it really is due to the success and the you know long-term payoff of the Hickman Avengers run. We get to see Cap settling back into leading this team. We get to see him, you know, learning how to. Um, how to work with Tony, how to work with these new characters who he had never met before. It draws upon his time as the leader of the Kooky Quartet in that he's, you know, trying to inspire and lead characters who may have had complicated pasts before this, and also really trying to pick up the pieces from some of the former Avengers teams that, for one reason or another, fell apart. So you get to see Cap grow and change across this and that's not even to mention all of the stuff with the illuminati his role in the early um misadventures of them trying to stop incursions his mind getting wiped and then him post the um post the draining of the super soldier serum don't worry we're gonna get into that in just a second him declaring war on tony and the rest of the illuminati leading into the end of all things it's just a phenomenal story and even though it is an avengers run you would be hard pressed to find a more complete captain america arc it starts with two men steve and tony and it ends with two men steve and tony leading into the amazing secret wars so that is at number eight and then post that post the end of all things post his depowering at the hands of the iron nail we get into sam wilson captain america written by nick spencer art by daniel acuna this takes place in sam wilson captain america issues number one through 22 and this is sam wilson as the captain he is heading up the book he has the shield he has the costume all he needs is the faith and trust of the u.s and that is not going to happen very easily um this is a great story if you want to get more information about not just this but also the stellar storytelling that went into uh steve rogers captain america book during this time as well uh we did an episode if you go back to uh back in the archives to episode 114 it's called a tale of two captains myself alongside Ru uh, malcolm russell nelson went through and we charted the parallel stories of steve rogers and sam wilson as they both hand as they both handled being simultaneous Captain Americas, uh, also giving us Hydra Cap, lead-ins to Secret Empire, and all that stuff. Unfortunately, what sucks is that this whole event was really um, more or less set up to bring back Steve as the main and only Captain America, which is unfortunate because this story tells a lot of incredible um 
gives us a lot of incredible moments with Sam, who is a very different Captain America than Steve is, and is the Captain America that arguably we need at this point in time in our history. And so it's a wonderful story with killer art, great use of the supporting cast, Misty Knight, Dum Dum Dugan. We get even our man, the uh, the Demolition Man. It is wonderful storytelling and unfortunately doesn't ends too soon in my personal opinion. But uh, that brings us to our final piece of this puzzle, the final piece of the Captain America Essential Reading Saga, which is the most recent Captain America run, Winter in America, written by Ta-Nehisi Coates with art by Lanil Francis Yu, Adam Kubert, Jason Masters, and Bob Quinn and Leonard Kirk. Uh, this ran from issues number one through 30, and like I said, is the most recent run of Captain America. Uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates is an incredible writer, and the fact that he wanted to write Cap so bad, he said in interviews prior to this run, he's like, I don't know if I could tell a good Captain America story, which makes me want to write it all the more. And after reading 30 issues of him writing Captain America, I think he succeeded, personally. Um, the story is not just about Captain America as a character, but also the legacy of that title, the legacy of being Captain America, the legacy of the S.H.I.E.L.D., and also the legacy of Steve Rogers as a human being and as a fixture in Marvel Comics history. Uh, we get to see him go up against the government again. We get to see him, you know, basically hit all of his greatest hits, going up against Zemo, going up against Red Skull, um... We get to see him abandon the title of Captain America for a little bit. We get to see him in prison. We get to see him teaming up with his supporting cast. He fights against a vampire. Um, all of the stuff that you could expect from a Captain America story, it's all here. It's all here condensed in a wonderful 30-issue run that I wish just had consistent artists. Um, it starts out really strong with Yu's art. It is wonderful. And as it moves into Kubert's art, I thought, you know, we're going from strength to strength. But then we get a very long stretch of Jason Masters as the main artist on the book. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again here, like, I have nothing against Jason and masters i am sure he's a wonderful person but his art is just not good at least for my personal opinion if you disagree feel free to let me know but the art really bogs down the book for a while and it's not until bob quinn does a quick spin for an issue or two that we get into leonard kirk uh end of the arc and the art from there i think is stellar and what's great about this is it not only tackles you know a lot of the captain america centric stories but it also tackles a lot of stuff that's going on in our current political climate which with Tanahasi Coates writing is kind of assumed, but it's still good to actually see Cap deal with that. Um, the story also deals a lot with this growing resentment of 
you know, a lot of the people who were in power. You know, this is a post-secret empire story. And what the story talks about is something that I think is very topical right now, which is that during the secret empire event, a lot of people were doing very well for themselves, mostly rich white people. And so we get to see that post this, there are some people who are still trying to hold on to that security, who are still trying to hold on to that sense of power and watching Captain America go up against that and deal with this rising, you know, underground Hydra that has turned more into something that you would akin to like a KKK or a, you know, a MAGA or whatever. And watching Cap deal with that is fascinating and it's very, very compelling. And it even ends in a really cool and unexpected way, um, which is the book, you know, I, I don't want to spoil too much, but it ends in a conversation, which I love. Uh, there are, of course, smackdowns aplenty throughout the book, but the fact that the book climaxes with the conversation between two people, and that at the end of the book, at the end of the run, even though Steve has won the day, the villains have been put away, the job's not done, the job's not finished. There are still people who are saying, you know, Red Skull was right. And the idea that it is going to be a never-ending battle is something that is compelling. It's, I think, very... Um, very timely, as well as being something that you can read and feel like it is relevant to right now. So throughout all 10 of these parts, you get to see the journey of Cap from waking up all the way to him becoming, you know, this beacon of hope in a world that is in sore need of it. So I hope that through these 10 issues or these 10 stories, you can chart a path and you can see the growth of Captain America as a character dealing with all of the stuff that you would assume that a character with as much political ties as he has would have to deal with. Now, besides those 10 issues, I do want to give some honorable mentions to comics that I think are worth the read but don't necessarily fit within this, uh, this reading order per se. Uh, the first one is The New Deal. This is Captain America issues 1 through 6, uh, written by John Nay Reber with art by John Cassidy. And this is a very divisive story um, because this is the first Captain America run post 9-11. And I would say that though the... Um, Though the rest of the run isn't as good, the first six issues, I think, are a very good time-in-a-bottle kind of story. Um, the art by Cassidy is incredible. You know how much I love Cassidy's art. Uh, he draws a hell of a cat just as much as he does draw a hell of an X-Men story. Um, but this story deals with terrorism, deals with domestic terrorism. Uh, the opening is still one of the most gut-wrenching and thought-provoking openings that I've ever read to a comic. And it is a very, like I said, it is a very interesting look into comics at that period of time. It is very pro-America, but at the same time, it's also, I would say, very anti-imperialism and gets into the heart of why these, you know, these awful things happen and what drives a person to take their beliefs from internal to radical. And I think 
like I said, the rest of the run, I wouldn't recommend as much. The first six issues are stellar. Uh, next up, we have a run that I almost put on this list. Uh, it is the Remender run, the Marvel, all new, all different, Marvel Now, whatever run. Uh, this is issues 1 through 25, written by Rick Remender, with art by um, John Romita Jr., Carlos Pacheco, Nick Klein. Um, this is... This starts with the castaway from Dimension Z, goes right up through the saga dealing with Nuke and the Iron Nail into Cap's depowerment. Um, I really wanted to put this on here, but with all the stuff going on with Rick Remender lately, um, I don't feel like I could have put it in good conscience in this essential Cap run. It's a great story, great art, uh, lots of incredible Cap moments, and introduces us to Ian Rogers, um, also bringing Sharon back into the limelight as well. But yeah, I just I think if you want to get a sense of that modern Cap, I would dive into the Sam Wilson or the Winter in America runs. Um, not for any you know to say that they're like better just um offhandedly or just better by default but i would feel more comfortable recommending them to you uh i would also recommend secret empire which i'm sure is going to ruffle a few feathers written by nick spencer art by andrea sorrentino Lenil Yu, steve mcniven and daniel acuna um this might be a cop you know this might be a um a what's it called a um controversial opinion Secret Empire Slaps. It's a great story. I think it's a very good story that was the story that we needed at the time. The only thing that I think is wrong with it is it drops the ball so heavily at the end. Because again, Secret Empire is set up for Cap to be Steve Rogers once again. Uh, which it should have ended with the crowning of Sam Wilson. Of him getting his defining moment as Captain America and continuing on with the role, but everything leading up to that is so strong. Whether we're talking about the separation of the characters, the ones that side with Steve, the ones that, you know, go underground, the hunt for shards of the Cosmic Cube, the return of the Hulk, pre-Immortal Hulk, um, it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful event that, unfortunately, like I said, drops the ball at the very end. And the last honorable mention is something that that I am very, very happy to recommend to people, and that's the United States of Captain America. It's going on right now. Written the main, writing the main portion is Christopher Cantwell with art by Dale Eaglesham. Though the backups introduce the new Captain Americas throughout the country. Uh, the first issue is wonderful. The second issue is gonna be coming out pretty soon here i think if you look at the schedule so uh if you want to catch up with captain america right now and dive into a story that you don't need to know anything about going in this is the story for you they are doing wonderful work with the character i cannot wait to see where this character goes next and even though he's made his way through decades of stories, battles, heartbreaks, all kinds of tragedy for 80 years now, what I think this story, or really all of these stories from the main 10 that I recommended to the honorable mentions, what they show is that Steve Rogers isn't just the guy who got shot up with super soldier serum and was sent to the front lines captain america is timeless and captain america is gonna keep on going so cap 
You can't tell, but I'm saluting. I'm trying to stay in character here. Here's to 80 years of Captain America, and here's to 80 more and beyond. Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you consume your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week. And honestly, I was really surprised that this ended up being the pick, but for me, it was Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow number two, written by Tom King, art by Belkis Evely. I absolutely adored this comic. Such great character moments. I really, really dig the story they're telling here. I talked about it last week, and I've said it before on the podcast. Uh, if you want to get me to pay attention to your story, just make it a Western story set in space. And that's exactly what the story's been so far, but giving us this interesting look at this, I would say, very different look at Kara in this uh, framing of a a Western revenge story is very, very cool. I'm excited to see where the book goes. Cannot wait for issue three. But that's last week's books. So we got to take a look back at this week's books, and there are a lot of books. Uh, I thought that we were going down now that we are past a bunch of the big like weekly events, but we have got 16 books this week. <laughs> 16! 16 books for you to check out, so let's not waste any more time. Let's go ahead and dive into it. Starting off with a brand new number one that I am very excited about. We have Icon and Rocket Season 1, number one. This is written by Reginald Hudlin with art by Doug Braithwaite. I am not familiar with either of these two creators, but I am familiar with Icon and Rocket, and I am very excited to see what they do with these characters. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Long ago, the stranded alien known as Arnis gave up hope of returning to his home planet. Tragically, he'd also realized that his adopted home of Earth was beyond saving. Content to waste away his long life in a human guise, Arnis was past caring, until the day a young woman named Raquel Irvin crashed into his life. Soon, she'd convinced him to put his incredible power to work again as the heroic icon, and to transform her into his sidekick, Rocket. But an innocent question on Rocket's part, why can't we do something about the drugs on my corner, quickly set a chain of events in motion leading to the pair becoming the most hunted beings on Earth. And they're not just being pursued by Earthlings either. So that sounds really, really cool. I, I've i absolutely adored the idea behind Icon and Rocket as well, and finally getting to revisit them in a more modern setting is going to be really, really cool. Next up, we have The Other History of the DC Universe number 5. Um, I believe this is the last issue. Um, Yes, I think this is. Uh, it's written by John Ridley with art by Andrea Cucci and uh, Giuseppe Camancoli. This series has been fantastic. It is a very dense read, so if that's not really what you're into, this isn't gonna like change your mind on that. Very wordy. It's almost like an illustrated uh short novel, but I really, really dig it. I've been enjoying every single issue that is coming out, and this issue is bringing us back into the family of Black Lightning uh, with his daughter, Thunder. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Being a superhero runs in Anissa Pierce's family. 
It's been a part of her life in one way or another since her father, Jefferson Pierce, first started to fight crime as Black Lightning. Despite what her parents tell her, despite what the world tells her, Anissa knows that she has the same calling as her father. But as Anissa takes on the mantle of thunder, she must grapple with a very different world than the one that her father first patrolled. The critically acclaimed creative team of Academy Award-winning screenwriter John Ridley and artists Giuseppe Camincoli and Andrea Cucci bring the other history of the DC Universe to a close. So yeah, uh, this I guess this is the final issue. I've been really enjoying the series. I think it's been... Regardless of if you're like not a fan of like the magazine style of the uh, of the comic, where it's a lot of dense uh, prose with just illustrations to back it up, um, I think the stories that they're telling are important. I think the stories that they're telling have been fantastic, and I think that this was a comic that we have sorely needed. And I'm hoping that through this book and through the attention that it's gotten, that we are going to be able to see more stories like this. Next up, we have Wonder Woman number 776. This is written, of course, by uh, Becky Cloonan, Michael Conrad, and Jordi Belair, with art by Paulina Ganeshow, Jill and uh, Jill Thompson. I have been enjoying this Wonder Woman run so far. I've talked about it before. I think it, the last issue came out like two weeks ago. So <laughs> um, it's, you know, I, I, I'm I not sure exactly what schedule this is going on now. But it looks like they're heading very quickly towards wrapping up this initial um, run with uh, Wonder Woman kind of trying to navigate the God Sphere before she comes back to Earth, because it's only a matter of time. But I've been enjoying it so far. Having Wonder Woman deal with the more, like, fantasy elements, going to Asgard, dealing with the Greek gods, like, more um, in person, has been really cool, and I'm excited to see where this next chapter brings her. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. They may look innocent, but the fairies of Elfame have it in for Wonder Woman. What did Diana do to incur their wrath? Well, it may have something to do with the Roman god who has turned the sphere of the gods upside down in pursuit of power. Someone must pay for the damage they've caused, and Radatos could be the first if Diana doesn't find him in time. Back on Themyscira, in the days of Diana's youth, the missing historical texts are close to being completed, but at what cost? Is knowledge of the Amazon's past worth all this trouble? Find out as the culprit behind it all reveals themselves and shares a truth that will change Diana's childhood forever. So I've been talking about how I think the backups are kind of are going to be linked to the modern day stuff later on, but now I'm not so sure because they just released solicits and it has just the backups released as like a as a trade or as a car hardcover. So I don't know anymore. We'll see. Again, like I'm more focused on the main story than the backup, but the backup's still a solid story. It's just like not my cup of tea or my like favorite Wonder Woman style of storytelling. So, but definitely excited to pick this up and see where uh, this God Sphere saga goes next. Next up, we have Teen Titans Academy number five. This is written by Tim Sheridan with art by Steve Lieb Steve Lieber. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't think the, pa the past issues haven't been drawn by Steve Weaver, and I'm, I'm a big Steve Weaver mark, so I'm excited about this. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. 
After launching their own investigation into the identity of Red X, Gotham City expatriates and new Titans Academy students Bratgirl, Chupacabra, and Megabat come face to face with a mysterious figure in the flesh. With the tables turned, this bat pack of kids must reveal their own secret origins to their masked captor. So I think this is really interesting. I like the Bat Pat. I didn't know how I was going to feel about them when they were first introduced because they were just like, oh, these are the Edgelord kids. But no, I think they're, there's a lot of quirk to them. I love that Mega Bat is a silent, uh, I don't want to say a brute because we don't know like the extent of his abilities yet. But I think it's really cool how they've got this group of like investigative uh, or junior investigators. And now they're running up against the mystery of Red X. I really dig this. Looking forward to picking this up for sure. Next up, we have Batman Superman number 20. This is written by Jin Loon Yang with art by Ivan Race. It just makes me sad every single time this book comes around because I'm excited to read it because I love this book. I love the creators on it, but it also makes me sad because I know that this book is ending in like two or three issues. So um, it's bittersweet if there is a more perfect uh, description of that term, but I've still been enjoying the story, and this one is going to get a little wild. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Man of Steel and the Dark Knight need time to recover from their manic melee through the Archive of Worlds, but the heroes won't rest for long. Despite the efforts of new friends El Diablo and Alana, Artur.io, the cybernetic architect of these alternate realities, seems to have the upper hand. And to make matters worse, the Archive of Worlds unleashes its most horrific story ever put to magic-infused celluloid, the dark and twisted tale of that demon from the depths. Etrigan. So that's, I mean, it's Etrigan. It's Superman versus magic, which is always really, really interesting. And Batman, who doesn't believe in magic. So lots of cool stuff. Jin Lun Yang is writing a fantastic story so far, and I'm going to be sad to see it go. Next up, we have Infinite Frontier number three. This is written by Joshua Williamson with art by Zermonico. And I have been really intrigued by the first two issues. The third issue uh, is teasing who was the new Black Lantern when we already know from the first two issues. But no matter the covers, um, I am still very intrigued on where this story is going because we don't know why Roy was chosen. I mean, we know basically what the intent behind the Black Lantern rings are, but I mean, it's, um, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it because like there's still there's a lot of unanswered questions like how Roy came back. Um, so I am intrigued to see if they answer that in this issue. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Barry Allen's history with the Psycho Pirate isn't pleasant. The Flash encountered this mind-bending villain all the way back in the original Crisis on Infinite Earths, and it did not end well for the Scarlet Speedster. For the first time since his death and rebirth, Barry runs afoul of this foe. Hopefully, it will go better this time around. That is, if the even bigger villain behind the pirates stays out of the fray, or if President Superman of Justice Incarnate sticks around to help win the day. So that's very odd. Um, I don't know what would pull President Superman away from saving one of his fellow teammates, but we will just have to see. Next up, we have The Mighty Valkyries number four. This is written by Tarun Gronbeck and Jason Aaron with art by Erica D'Urso and Mattia De Iulis. Uh, this book's been fantastic so far. I've really genuinely been loving it. I mean, the art is incredible. The writing is stellar. I just... <sighs> 
I love it. It's really, really cool. Um, especially with all the cool things going on in Thor and Thor adjacent comics right now. I am in heaven. It's fantastic. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Terrible Threes. The bowels of hell are filled with new life. Just what is Carnilla, Queen of the Dead, trying to do? And if the cycles of life and death are in flux, where does a Valkyrie's allegiance fall? Jane Foster and her new comrade-in-arms, Anna, must untangle a web of lies before the realm of both the living and the dead are irrevocably changed. So yeah, I'm just, I'm really digging this. I like the two parallel stories, the fact that our new Valkyrie has uh, Yarnbjorn is always, I just, I love the idea of that. So really digging this, can't wait to pick this up. Next up, we have Strange Adventures number 11. This is written by Tom King with art by Mitch Jarrods and Doc Shaner, and we are in the endgame now. There's only one more issue after this. Uh, it looks like, at least from what it seems like, all the, um... All the, what's it called? All the secrets, all the mysteries have been solved, but I'm sure they have something else up their sleeves. They always do. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Chapter 11. Adam Strange may save the world, but can he save his marriage? There are things that happened in the original war with the marauding Picts that Adam never told his wife, Alana. And she wants answers now. Adam fueled the fires the possibility that he didn't just deceive her, but entire galactic civilizations in his quest for victory. Which raises the question, how much has been true in the stories he's told Earth to mobilize its greatest heroes against an invasion right here at home? This is the big one before the finale. Massive secrets are revealed as two timelines rush toward a conclusion. So I am very interested because Massive Secrets are revealed and I just talked about that. So uh, we'll have to see. I think there is at least one or two more twists remaining here and I can't wait to find out what they are. Next up, we have Shang-Chi number three. This is written by Jean Lun Yang with art by DK Ruan. Just pack it up, everybody. I've been loving this. I've been loving this book so far. It's been so freaking good watching Shang-Chi become, like, the leader of the, you know, superhero underworld and having to deal with the conflicts that come with that has been fantastic. Uh, last issue, he ran up against Captain America, and at this one, it's going to be a little tougher for him. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Shang-Chi vs. the Marvel Universe Part 3 Shang-Chi vs. Wolverine Shang-Chi discovers yet another sibling he never knew he had. Even more surprising, she's a mutant. You know what that means. Shang-Chi won't be the only one looking for her. Enter Wolverine. So yeah, I mean, come on, it's going to be great. I'm very excited about this. Should be very, very cool. Next up, we have Robin number four. This is written by Joshua Williamson with art by uh, George Corona or Jorge Corona. 
I apologize. Uh, this looks like we are taking a little bit of a sidestep when it comes to the Melnikov-led uh, art duties, but I'm not super familiar with Corona, but I mean, I've got faith in the story and I've got faith that uh, they're going to put the best talent on it. So I'm excited to see what he brings to it. I'm excited to see how he flavors this very uh, anime-style story that they're crafting here. And I've been enjoying it so far. I didn't think I was going to like this as much as I do, and I actually really, really dig it. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Damien Wayne versus his grandfather, the immortal Raish Al Ghul. For years, Batman's son avoided learning the ways of the demon from Raish. But now that training may be exactly what Robin needs to win the League of Lazarus tournament. Plus, Ravager follows the mysterious respawn into the secrets of Lazarus Island. So yeah, that's one of the big mysteries right now is who is Respawn. I still think it's Grant Wilson, but who knows? Um, we'll probably get a reveal, I'm assuming. But I'm very excited. I always love when they pair Damien and Raish together, so I'm excited to see what they cook up for this meeting. Next up, we have Daredevil number 32. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Mike Hawthorne. Um... What can I say, man? This book is ridiculous. It is so freaking good. One of Marvel's best books. Consistently might be the best book from month to month that they've been putting out. Um, and they are ramping up for a gigantic seismic shift in the Daredevil book. So I am very excited to check this out. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Lockdown Part 2. The Angel of Death has come to Hell's Kitchen and New York City. A series of grisly murders tests Electra's mettle and commitment to her role as the new Daredevil, as the city spirals in a state of near panic. Meanwhile, Matt Murdock faces tests and challenges of his own, as the inmates he's serving time alongside aren't the ones in prison targeting him. So I have been loving the dual storytelling between Elektra and Matt, and I continue to love it, even though I know something bad is going to happen now that Bullseye is loose. There's going to be bad times ahead for our heroes, but very excited to pick this book up. Next up, we have Detective Comics number 1040. This is written by Mariko Tamaki with art by Dan Waters, Dan Mora, and Kyle Holtz. No, written by Dan Waters and Mariko Tamaki with art by Dan Mora and Kyle Holtz. Um, this, I mean, Detective Comics, it might be the best bat book going on right now. Um, I think Urban Legends is creeping up on it for sure, but Batman Detective Comics is the premier bat book right now, at least in my opinion. If you disagree, feel free to let me know. But I've been loving this so far. I did enjoy the uh, the art change for a little bit, but I'm excited that Dan Mora is returning to uh, the series at a very exciting point. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. When the cops brought Bruce Wayne in for questioning last month, a giant money man with a bazooka and a mustache for days blew the place up. So what's that mean for Gotham's ex-favorite son? Well... It means Bruce Wayne has to spend a weekend in lockup. Can Batman's alter ego go the weekend without getting stabbed? I suppose to be fair, he's stabbed on the reg as Batman anyway. Plus, a major Batman villain meets his death in a story that will rock the world of Gotham City in a monstrous way. Do not miss The Night 
Redacted was killed by Dan Waters and Kyle Holtz. Um, someone's dying. That's uh, whew, woof. Um, we've already had so many deaths when it comes to Batman's Rogues, thanks to A Day. But um, we'll see who dies next. Big question. We'll see. Uh, next up, we have Beta Ray Bill number five, written and illustrated by Daniel Warren Johnson. I have been loving this book. Um, by the way, quick shout out to Superman uh, Red and Blue last week. It was very close between that and Supergirl for my pick of the week. Um, the Daniel Warren Johnson story in that is a tearjerker. I abs. Ugh. God, pick that book up. Seriously, do it. It's got some of my favorite Superman stories. It's it's so good. But back to Beta Ray Bill, wonderful comic, absolutely one of the best Marvel's been putting out, and the story that it's telling with Bill and his journey to find a new weapon and him coming full circle in his story against the thing that put him on the path to become Beta Ray Bill in the first place. Mwah chef's kiss with how poetic the storytelling in this is it's been wonderful i'm sad to see it go but i'm excited to see where beta ray bill goes next so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here argent star part five bill versus serta in the epic finale beta ray bill and his allies must fight the ultimate battle against serta the fire god responsible for the destruction of Bill's home planet. It's going to take an eminent amount of power to defeat this foe, but with his goals in sight, is Bill ready to pay the cost required to return to his former self? So this this story's been really great, not just because we've gotten a lot of action, and Daniel Warren Johnson is incredible with his pencils when it comes to uh, lots of action and setting and drama, but... The thing about this story that I've really loved is how deeply personal the story has been for Bill and how deeply personal the story is in general. Everyone has felt, you know, or I'm assuming, I guess, uh, everyone at one point in their life has felt unsettled in their own skin. And having a story about that, about someone's drive to change that, uh, whether it's healthy or not, has been a fantastic five-issue story so far, and I would urge you, if you have not been picking this book up, do yourself a favor, pick up all five issues, it is worth your time. Next up, we have Action Comics number 1033. This is written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, Becky Cloonan, and Michael Conrad, with art by Daniel Sampier and Michael Avon Oming. Now, this book, I have to, I'm not sure how to feel about now after Superman and the Authority last week. I loved Superman and the Authority, but I don't know what the hell is going on in that book. Um, there's a lot going on in that book, and I don't know how that um, shakes out with the current Action Comics run. But um, we'll just have to see. But I have been loving the Action Comics run by Johnson so far. Uh, the art by Sam Pierre is absolutely stellar. And the story that they're telling parallel to the mainline Superman book as well as 
another book that's coming up later on in this list, uh, has been fantastic and really intriguing for me. Again, the only thing that I just haven't been really enjoying is the Midnighter backup, just because I don't, I can't get invested in it. I just, I've, I've been skipping it to be honest, which might be a mistake, but I just, it hasn't been for me. But the main story about War World, you know how much I love Mongol. Um, I've been really, really digging it, and I'm excited to pick this next issue up. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. War World Rising, Part 4, Slash, The Passenger, Part 5. Atlantis is under attack. Taking in the War World refugees also means taking possession of the deadly War World tech they brought with them. And holding that much power makes the Undersea Kingdom a threat to the rest of the world. Can Superman move fast enough to prevent all-out war? Doing so may mean taking the power into his own hands. Meanwhile, some of the escaped War World prisoners have found the Fortress of Solitude, and along with it, Lois Lane. In a second feature, Midnighter has gone deep into the Trojan compound and found a very unexpected guest whose path he crossed in Future State. None other than Mr. Miracle. So, yeah, lots of exciting stuff. I love stories where Lois Lane is trapped in, like, the Watchtower or the Fortress of Solitude, and villains find it because it always ends up really bad for them and really good for her. So I'm excited to see how this one plays out. But the big books of the week, the books I think you should absolutely be picking up, are a twofer, a tie here. First off, The United States of Captain America number two. This is written by Christopher Cantwell and Mohale Mashigo with art by Dale Eaglesham and Natasha Bustos. Um, what can I say, man? It's poetic that we're ending off Captain America month with issue two of the United States of Captain America. I absolutely adored the first issue. It was wonderful, loved every second of it, and we are continuing on that story. I also really, really liked Aaron Fisher as a character, and I cannot wait to meet our next captain. Nichelle Wright is in this issue, and I am very excited to see what she brings to the table. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson are hot on the trail of the shield thief, but their adversary remains one step ahead, and he has friends in low places. Some of Captain America's oldest enemies are behind this scheme, but can Sam and Steve figure out who these enemies are and what they want in time to stop them? And in a story by Mohale Mashigo and Natasha Bustos, who is Nichelle Wright, the Captain America of Harrisburg? And will her community stand up for her when the shield thief frames her for a terrible crime? Love it. Love it, 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 love it. I am very excited about this. I am... I am in. I'm all in on this. Cannot wait to pick this up. And the other book that I think you should be picking up, the two parts, the second part of my two-part book, absolute pickup books for this week is Superman Son of Kal-El number one. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by John Timms. Uh, this is the next big jump for the Superman 
family of books. Um, this is where John Kent gets to step into the role that his father has occupied for so long, and this is where we get to see him test his mettle and see if he can be every bit of the Superman that his father was. Uh, you know how long I have been screaming into the void about having Tom Taylor write a Superman book? Well, here it is. Um, I have to say, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Tim's art, but I'm willing to give him a shot to change my mind and surprise me. Um, I still, I, I think there is something there. John Tim's, there's nothing against him, nothing against him. I think he's great. Uh, his art's just not my cup of tea a lot of times, but I am really, really excited to see him give all he's got for this character. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Jonathan Kent has experienced a lot in his young life. He's fought evil with Robin, traveled across galaxies with his Kryptonian grandfather, and lived in the future with the Legion of Superheroes, who were intent on training him for the day his father could no longer be Superman. There's a hole in the Legion's history that prevents John from knowing exactly when that will happen, but all signs point to it being very soon. It's time for the son to wear the cape of his father, and continue the never-ending battle as a symbol of hope for his home planet! Yeah, I mean, what more could you want? It's it is very exciting to see Tom Taylor writing John again. Uh, if you want to see him write John prior to this book, check out Deceased. Uh, he has a hand in writing him in every single bit of that book, except for maybe Unkillables, where he doesn't appear. But he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. I'm very excited to see him take over this book, and I cannot wait to see what he does with the character. But that does it for this giant-sized comics countdown. There were a lot of books to talk about here. So to recap, we have Icon and Rocket, Season 1, Number 1, The Other History of the DC Universe, Number 5, Wonder Woman, Number 776, Titans Teen Titans Academy, Number 5, Batman Superman, Number 20, Infinite Frontier, Number 3, The Mighty Valkyries, Number 4, Strange Adventures, Number 11, Shang-Chi, Number 3, Robin, Number 4, Daredevil, Number 32, Detective Comics, Number 1040, Beta Ray Bill, Number 5, Action Comics, Number 1033, The United States of Captain America, Number 2, and Superman, Son of Kal-El, number one. So many comics! And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what to do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, subscriptions, they really help me out. They really help the podcast out in the weird algorithm space. really raises our stock in the podcasting world and kind of gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, podcast itunes whatever you want to call it i will read your review here on the podcast you can join the likes of our mighty nine including seafire nd josh from panels to pixels matt draper burrito man 88 doug from for every kind of geek don swanson that guy brian mouth dork dallas meeks and our newest review I want to say a very big thank you to amazing spider fan who dropped a five-star rating and review thank you very much on apple podcasts 
And they wrote, so good, with so many O's. Thank you very much for that. Uh, they write, you should definitely listen to this guy. His podcast is just great. Had to do it with the Tony Tiger. And then he puts in parentheses, and he likes Cyclops, which makes him and the podcast even awesomer. Yes. Yes, Amazing Spider fan. Work. Yes. I am... Yes, Cyclops, forever. Uh, I'm so happy to have a fellow Cyclops fan listening to the podcast. Thank you very much uh, for your review. And now to join our terrific 10 our terrific 10 reviews want to say a big thank you to everyone from amazing spider fan down for their review and i cannot wait to hear yours we are at 18 reviews and ratings uh we're at 18 ratings on apple podcasts slash itunes and we are almost 20 i can i can see it i can just visualize it in my mind so feel free drop that five star rating and review for me if you like what i do and i would love to get to 20 ratings um also if you want to be part of our geek explain mailbag if you have a question for me uh you want to get my opinion on something a quick pitch or maybe some comic recommendations that we haven't covered yet on the podcast feel free to email me send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com just put mailbag in the subject header and i will read it here on the podcast and if you want to keep up to date with the podcast keep up to date with me uh participate in polls that decide future episodes or maybe you just want to Shoot the shit on the latest geeky news. You can feel free to follow us on the Twitter and the Instagram at Pod. That's at GeeksplainedPod. Um, also, a quick plug for Owen Likes Comics on uh, YouTube. Uh, Owen's a longtime, uh, longtime from the podcast, good brother all around. Uh, we recently did a uh, Q&A to celebrate him reaching 50,000 subscribers. So if you check out the Owen Likes Comics YouTube channel, I showed up with my face and everything. You can see what I look like and not just what I sound like. Um, check it out. We had a ton of fun answering the questions that uh, his YouTube, Patreon, and Twitter community sent to him. So if you want more of me, feel free to check that out. Also, if it's your first time here on the podcast, just so you know, this is not the only podcast that we do every single week. Every single Friday, we give you a newest installment of the Geek Explained Book Club, where right now we are going through every single issue of every single volume of Robert Kirkman, Corey Walker, and Ryan Otley's Invincible, alongside good brothers Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown. So look for that every single Friday. We're going to be tackling, I believe, volume 13 volume 12 one of those we're we're getting far into it we just got through conquest and we are already getting through the viltrumite war i have never read up to this point so it's all uncharted waters for me cannot wait to drop the newest episode on friday but that is going to do it for this week's episode and that is going to do it for captain america month i want to say a big thank you to everyone who participated in this listen to me rant about steve rogers captain america sam wilson bucky barnes and all the like i had a ton of fun this month talking about the star spangled avenger we even had a great guest a great first time podcast guest with scott nicewander we got to talk about my fave one of my favorite films of all time the first avenger and in this episode we got to cover my 10 essential Captain America comics. And at the beginning of the month, we got to talk about one of my favorite Captain America comics, Mark Wade and George Molina's Man Out of Time. So this has been a ton of fun. 
Next month, we're going to be heading into some regularly scheduled Geeksplained episodes. Uh, we don't usually do uh, themed months every single month because it makes it a little bit more special for me and uh, hopefully for you as well. So uh, tune in next week for the first episode of July. Uh, I feel like this year is going by super quick. So it is my birth month next month, and I'm very excited to bring some awesome Geeksplain content for you. It's Think of it as my birthday present for you. So uh, tune in next week for a brand new episode of the Geeksplain podcast. Same geek time, same geek channel. And for now, for Geeksplain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time.